Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Let's go to the book of Mark, chapter 8. Mark, chapter 8. I shared this message. It's kind of where we've come to in our walk through the Gospels as we've been in this for several weeks now, walking through the Gospels in a chronological order and um, been through several events in the life of Jesus and um, learned a lot of, lot of wonderful things in the process. And when I came across this chapter, I, th- I remember teaching a message on this some time ago, and so it was about three-ish, three years ago or so. And uh, so I wanted to share it again with you tonight, and the, I titled it, The Miracle That Never Happened. The Miracle That Never Happened. And... Um, we come into the story about Jesus and his disciples in a boat. It's interesting how many things take place in the life of Jesus in a boat. Several, several stories, several events happen in a boat. I like boats. I enjoy them. I don't have one because I don't want to spend all the money I have on them. They're just kind of a hole in the water that you just pour money into. But I like to know people that have boats. That's always fun. My father-in-law has boats, has had them through the years, and we've had a lot of fun. He taught me how to fish for bass and uh, took quite a while to learn that because if you, I'd always cast with a Zebco reel. You know the Zebco? You just push the button and the magic happens. But he had these open face reels, like you had to actually know, be a skilled fisherman to use these things. You have to kind of keep your thumb on this spool of line and when you cast it and if your thumb comes off at the wrong time you get what's called backlash so the the first few attempts at me bass fishing was me just getting the backlash out of my my reel and then trying it again my father-in-law was very patient with me until I could I got pretty good at it being on a cruise ship is a different kind of boat it's a boat with food lots of food We've had some good times with our kids, taking them on a cruise here and there and um, enjoying that experience on a boat. But it seems that Jesus had somewhat of an affection toward boats, as there are many instances throughout his ministry where we find them in a boat. Um, and, and in the scriptures, the, the boat uh, represents a, a metaphor of life because you, you're, you're in a limited framework of something while on land you have you know limitless space around you but in the boat circumstances offer a different perspective the quarters are tighter and they're either in the boat these circumstances or the outside of the boat something exterior and something interior and you can't escape from situations or people who are in the boat with you unless you just decide you want to swim all the way back home Jesus disciples had several different kinds of reactions to things that happened while they were out in the boat. Luke chapter 5, the disciples were so overwhelmed with the miracle cast of fish that, uh, that they caught. It completely astonished them. And Peter responds to this miracle by telling Jesus, depart from me for I am a sinful man. The goodness of God does that to us sometimes, doesn't it? Kind of sneaks up on us. But see, Peter is distracted here with his own sinfulness rather than the miracle of the catch of fish. Also, there was a time when the disciples were on a boat and a, a storm arose. 
And the disciples became undone, and they were distracted with their own fears. The Gospel of Mark, actually, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The Gospel of Mark tells us this detail that Jesus was asleep on a pillow at the stern when this happened. And they're so overwhelmed with their fear that they go to wake Jesus up after he had had a very long day of ministry. He was exhausted. They wake him up, and he stands up, and he rebukes the wind, and he rebukes the the waves and says, peace be still. And then he rebukes their unbelief and says, where was your faith? See, Jesus wasn't troubled by that storm. He was troubled by their fear of the storm. That's the thing that bothered him. He scolded them for it. Because when you set your eyes on circumstances and danger, it can do bad things to your faith. And then John chapter 21, this is after Jesus is risen from the dead. The disciples had been laboring all night to catch fish. They had decided, they thought it was over. Jesus had died, and as far as they knew, that time was done. So they just went back to doing what they used to do. Went back to fishing. And they fished all night and caught nothing. And they're so distracted with their need to catch fish to make a living that they're very slow in recognizing that Jesus is standing on the shore talking to them. And he has a conversation with them, and they're talking back and forth with him. And, and so he asked them if they had any, any fish, and they said, no, we've, we, you know, we've, we've been working all night and caught nothing. He said, well, cast the net on the other side. And you know, after a little bit of persuasion, they finally decided to throw the net over. And the scripture tells us that 153 large fish were caught in that net. And all of a sudden, the lights came on. Hey, oh, that's Jesus. You ever been so distracted by your own need that you didn't see Jesus in your situation? That can easily happen. And in the midst of that need, Jesus might ask you in all of your toiling and trying, how's this working out for you? Hmm? Is this working for you? And if we're honest, we'll tell him, no, it's not really working out. Can you please help me? I've done that maybe once in my life. And he's always faithful, isn't he? Because the scripture says he's a very present help in times of trouble. In this passage, in Mark chapter 8, we're going to see another story in a boat. And we find the disciples are again distracted. Mark is the abbreviated gospel. I, I like reading Mark if I want to just kind of get to the story quick or to the point of the story. Mark just gets us there quickly. That's why you read the Gospel of Mark and many times he says immediately this happened and immediately this happened. It just takes you from one event to the next to the next to the next. It's a very terse book and very succinct. And so uh, Mark, in, in that kind of writing though, he kind of suspends that and takes us into this story and gives us some interesting details. Doesn't rush through the details of this story, but he kind of leaves it um, without an end. It just kind of drops off. But we can learn some things here. Are you ready to read it? Mark chapter 8, verse 13. Mark chapter 8, verse 13. Have you found it? If you haven't, you can look up here on the screen. It's right there in front of you. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Everybody say one loaf. All right, so we see we had, they had nothing more than one loaf, okay? Got it? Then he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees 
and the leaven of Herod. What is Jesus speaking of? Well, most of the time, leaven is used as an example of something that corrupts in the Scriptures. Not always, but most of the time. And he's saying, be careful. Do not let the Pharisees, this religious system, these who live by these doctrines of men and the commandments of men and hold these up higher than even the more weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and humility, or justice, mercy, and faith. Beware of their influence. Don't let it get inside you. Because they talk a big talk, but they don't walk that way. And then he said, and of Herod. Herod represents the world system. The Pharisees represented the religious system. Herod represents the world system. Don't let the world influence you. Don't let its ideals and its ideologies and its philosophies and its reasoning, don't let that get inside you. So the lesson has begun here. Verse 16, and they reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have no bread. Wait a second. Verse 14, we have one loaf. And 16, we have no bread. What happened to the bread? I think I know what happened to it, but we'll get to that in just a second. Verse 17, but Jesus, being aware of it, said to them. Now here's where Jesus gives probably the most serious scolding he has ever given to his disciples throughout the Gospels. He's usually pretty tender with them, and he's patient, and he's kind, even when they did stupid things or selfish things. Remember when James and John, actually it was their mother that came to him, that heard him talking about the kingdom, right? He's going to sit on the throne of David. So she has this idea for her boys, Lord, let John sit on one side and James sit on the other. And Jesus doesn't scold them about that. I mean, you would think that'd be a good place to go. Are you kidding me? How full of yourself can you be? Right? He doesn't do that. He's, he's almost even kind of apologetic at his response. He says, are you, willing to, are you willing to walk the walk I've walked? Are you willing to lay down your life? And they said, yes. He said, indeed, you are going to suffer. But that's not really from mine to give. That's up to the Father. That's the best answer I can give you. Interesting. I mean, he didn't say, you guys... Uh, get a life. But he's very patient and gentle, but look how he responds to them here. They reasoned among themselves, it's because we have no bread. Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Ouch, this lesson is getting harsh, isn't it? Watch. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said, seven. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? Now, there is a good reason why Jesus is upset here. Well, we got to give these guys a little credit here, too. These, at this point, the disciples have, had abandoned everything to follow Jesus. They had left their livelihood. They had left their time with their families to follow this man. Given up, sacrificed. They wanted to help him in his ministry. And yet they have displeased him here in some way. 
So what is Jesus so upset about here? They're about to take this trip across the lake. It's going to take a couple of hours, and so they decide, apparently, to have lunch along the way. Um, they get ready to have their lunch. Somebody says, I'm hungry, let's eat. And then they start asking each other, who brought the lunch? That is, where is it? I, it's not my turn. I did it last time. What about you, Bart? Bartholomew. I, I didn't even know. I, I didn't even know I was supposed to get lunch. I, I don't do, I haven't, I don't know. John, he's the youngest. You should do it. I, I, okay, I'm the youngest. Yeah, so that means I'm the brokest. I don't have money to go get. That guy over there, the guy with the scowl on his face, Judas, he's the one that has the money. And Judas says, uh, I'm the CPA of this operation. I don't make grocery runs. So nobody has, they, they, they run inventory and they find one loaf. And may, I don't know if that loaf was already on one of their persons or maybe it was under the bench in the boat. But all they do know is that there's not enough to go around. You'd think one of them would have had the wit to provide provisions for this lunch, this little picnic on the boat. Nobody remembered to buy the bread. I mean, think about this. Jesus has been the one doing all the work. He had just had this huge confrontation with the Pharisees. He had cast out devils. He had healed people. What are the disciples doing when all this happens? They're just kind of standing around. right? They're just watching. They're observing him doing this. Somebody can't remember to get the lunch? And at this moment, the lesson begins. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And you can hear his disciples Almost say, shoot, we're busted. That's a hint. That's a riddle he's throwing at us. This is because we don't have the bread and we're caught. And that's where Jesus begins to get upset. See, they're thinking that he's upset because they forgot to bring bread. But what Jesus is upset about is that they're thinking that he's upset that they forgot to bring bread. He doesn't care about the bread. It's no big deal to him that they forgot that. But it's a big deal to them, and they're distracted with it. And that's where they make their first mistake here on this journey across the water. They have their eyes on their lack of provision instead of on him. So this first truth that we're going to pull from this passage is, who is in your boat? is way more important than what is in your boat. Who is in your life is way more important than what's in your life. Your natural, physical, financial resources are not nearly as important as he who is your provider. Hmm? These disciples who have the pleasure of his company are overlooking that very obvious thing. Instead of thinking, Wait a second, Jesus is in the boat. All things are possible. Didn't we hear him say something like that? Anything's possible. Give him that piece of bread. Let's see what can happen. No, they're distracted. They're thinking, we forgot the bread. I think we've all been guilty of focusing on our own weaknesses and needs at times. Knowing that Christ is in us, the hope of glory, this mystery that was once hidden has now been revealed, Christ in you. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And how many times do we get caught up, though? Being distracted, 
by our circumstances. I don't have enough education. I don't have that kind of talent. I don't have enough friends. I don't have enough opportunities. I don't have enough money. Instead of remembering the joy of simply having Jesus. The irony to this story is the disciples had already seen Jesus provide. And this is what he takes them back to. They'd already seen him provide. From five loaves, he provided food for 5,000 people. They also saw him later on with seven loaves provide for 4,000 people. So instead of their focus being on his ability that anything's possible, they're looking at their own inability to bring the lunch. And that's a serious mistake because when you have Jesus, you have the key to all things in life. Right? Is this true? Because Peter says, we have received all things. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Through the knowledge of him. With Jesus, you have the possibility of health. You have the possibility of provision. You have the possibility of friends, of more friends. You have the possibility of opportunities, of personal growth, of satisfaction, amen, joy. And to boot eternal life. Through Jesus, you have the answer to everything that is a real need. That's what gives us the boldness to tell others Jesus is the answer. Because no matter what the question is, he is the answer. The second truth that they're missing here in this story is something Jesus tries to teach them by his questions. Let's go back to verse 19 and let's see how Jesus begins to teach them. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. Why do you think Jesus asked them these questions? Because he's trying to show them that when he fed more people, he actually did it with less bread. Look at that. Seven fed 4,000, five fed 5,000. Now, if we follow this math... If you were to put it on a graph or a chart in some way, then you could see what one loaf would produce. If five produces for 5,000, and if seven will feed 4,000, it seems the less you get, the more you can feed. As a matter of fact, when we draw a straight line on that graph, one will feed 7,000 and have 22 baskets left over. <laughs> God prefers to accomplish big results with little resources. This second lesson is the less you are able to offer him, the more he delights to do with it. I'll say that again. The less you are able to offer him, the more he delights to do with it. It's seen time and time again throughout the scriptures, my family. Hmm? When a nine-foot-tall giant needs to be taken out, what does God do about this? Does he get a ten-foot giant? No, he gets a little boy, a shepherd boy with a sling and a stone to get the job done because that's how he prefers to do things. Israel's up against the wall. I mean, their back's against the wall. They have these, these nations against them at this point. And we, let's go to Judges 7 for just a moment. We can bring up that verse and, and see what happened. Now, the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, which means that's a bunch of people. And their camels were without number. As the sand by the seashore in multitude. This is a big group of people and animals. And what does God pick? 
to defeat these guys who have come up against his own people. He does not pick General Patton. He wasn't around. MacArthur, Mad Dog. These guys weren't around. He picks this scared little young man who's hiding in this wine press threshing wheat who he said of himself, I am the least in my tribe and I am part of, and my tribe is the least among the tribes, which means I'm the smallest guy here. And the Lord says, that's perfect. And Gideon answered the call. And so he said, what do I do? He said, you need to, you need to put out an invite to all the men who will go to war with you. Well, guess who, how many answered the call? Anybody remember? In Judges chapter, in the story of Gideon? 32,000 show up. 32,000 showed up. Now, we're talking about against this. 32,000, you can count that, but this is locusts and seashore, sand of the seashore. This, this is how they're numbered here. There are no specific number because there's so many. But they count 32,000. What is that compared to this? Well, it's not, the odds aren't good. And God says, here, get in, do this. I still don't like the odds here. And Gideon's like, I don't either. Thank you. He says, ask the men if you're afraid to go to war, you can go home. How many, if, you're, if you're afraid, we're going to let you out here. Now, you think when guys get together, I mean, come on, we're flexing when, when we're together. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't show our weaknesses. We don't talk about how afraid we are, right? You think, well, that's a dumb question. I mean, it's men. They're, none of them are going to admit in front of their other friends, I'm too afraid to, I want to just go home. Well, 22,000 of them did go home. 22 of the 32. Now there's 10,000. This is going in the wrong direction. And God still doesn't like it. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. No. Okay, so then he sets up this test of how they would drink water from the creek. And 9,700 failed the test. And now it's Gideon and his 300 men. And they won. Because God loves to do big things with little resources. See, these disciples are missing that very important truth. Jesus is walking them through these questions to help them understand this truth. Now, they have a perfectly human way of reasoning here. Right? Big bait catches a big fish. Right? That makes sense to us. But... God's way of doing business is quite different. Jesus said, I fed more people with five loaves than I did with seven loaves. So, how many loaves did they have? One. Wow. What are they worried about? This is what got Jesus so upset. Have you forgotten who's with you guys? You're so distracted by this natural need. I'm trying to teach you something of the kingdom, and you can't even hear it. The less you have to offer him, the more he delights to do with it. Uh, lastly, nothing much happens until you offer him what you have. And that didn't happen. On this boat ride, the disciples were hungry. And that's why they're concerned about having bread and also maybe the fact that they didn't bring lunch for Jesus. Think about this. They started this trip hungry and they ended the trip hungry. 
And he, all along, Jesus, the miracle worker, is on board. Having the miracle worker on board doesn't do a thing for you unless you offer him. Whoa, what the heck happened there? Who did this? Is somebody playing a trick on me? Is that you? I don't know why that was said. It doesn't do a thing for you having Jesus in your life if you don't offer him what you have. Hmm? They didn't do that. The scripture does not record that they offered Jesus that one loaf that they did have. A loaf for them was about the size of a pastry for us today. There's a very good chance that this one loaf wasn't purchased for the purpose of feeding all these men. Maybe it was just left over from some previous meal. And maybe as they're looking at it, just thinking, this, 13 guys, this is useless, and just tossed it overboard. Because it went from one loaf to nothing. Instead of putting it in his hand. Well, they stayed hungry. I think that you and I have thought this very kind of thought about who you are and what you have when it comes to what we can offer God and what God can do for us and through us. But nobody gave Jesus what they had. When you offer Jesus what you have, my family, you can experience miracles. But when you don't, you're just simply left wanting. They have a need. Jesus is there. But no miracle happens. It is the miracle that never happened. I want to encourage you tonight. Offer Jesus what you have. You know what? Faith had $500, but she had a bigger need than that. And so she put that, what she had, into the hands of God. And he provided. Because that's what he likes to do. He wants to show himself strong on our behalf. He watches over his word to perform it. For those who will take it, those who will believe it, those who will say, Lord, I don't have much, but that means nothing to you. That's just a setup for you to do something big in me and through me. So just be willing to offer up what you have. Offer up what you have. What you have in your hand is familiar to you. You know, that loaf, won't we all just kind of, can you do this with me? Can you entertain me here? Just... Hold your hand like this. We're going to pretend like this is the loaf in your hand, all right? This is the issue in your life. You, you know what that is. You know where it's dirty. You know that it's lacking. You know where parts are missing. But that isn't the issue. The, the question is, will you offer it to him? Will you offer it to him and let him do what he can here? Because it's exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. I want to take a moment to just pray. And I want you to just offer that to him. And say, Lord, I offer this to you. I put this in your hands. Whatever that may be. If it's provision, it's healing. If it's a relationship, whatever it is. Just don't, maybe it's a, just a personal issue, a personal struggle you're having. Just take that now and offer it to him. He's not intimidated by it. He's not one who would say, well, I can't do anything with that. No, he says, I'll take that. I'll take what you have. And I will show you my glory.
Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you right now for ministering your love and your grace and your power here. Nothing is impossible with our God. But Father, we're not going to limit ourselves. We're not going to limit what we have. We're not going to limit our circumstances by thinking that nothing can be done and overlooking what, <laughs> what is possible. Lord, you're concerned with everything in our lives. That's why you became flesh, so that you could show us that you can relate to us. We have a high priest, the scripture says, who can sympathize with our weaknesses, who was tempted in all points just like we are, yet without sin. He showed us how to win. He showed us how to have the victory. And I thank you, Lord. You're the author and the finisher of our faith tonight. And Lord, you are concerned with every detail. You're concerned about our marriages. You're concerned about what goes on at home. You're concerned, Lord, about our, our health. You're concerned about our finances. Lord, you're concerned about all of those things. But you invite us to come, hey, be concerned about what I'm concerned about. Seek the kingdom. Seek me. All this stuff will be added to you. That's the path. That's the way. So that you don't get caught up in this world because you're in it, but you're not of it. You have a kingdom that has no end. You are citizens of heaven. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ. So tonight, remember that and be strengthened in your hope and your faith in God tonight. That He loves you very much. He is on your side. And if you'll give Him what you have, let Him be the miracle worker. Let Him figure it out. Peter said it like this, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you all of them all of them what an invitation he's not particular just give them all to me i can do i can do i can do i am able not only am i able but i'm willing thank you lord thank you lord we bless you tonight and now let's just, let's stand together tonight when we were singing especially that last song about thank you I was reminded back of what Pastor Roxanne was talking to us about. It was either Monday or Tuesday, Sunday or Monday night. And she was talking about just continue pouring, continue pouring. What are we pouring out? Gratitude. Just thanking Him. huh? So why don't we just now lift our hands and thank Him. Thank Him for taking care of this thing. Thank Him that He's on your side. Thank Him that He's, He is able. He's able. Hallelujah. Our God. There's nothing too hard for our God. Nothing. Nothing is too difficult. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you have provision for every need. Lord, we offer up thanksgiving tonight because your word says, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. As we're giving thanks here tonight, this is our expression of faith to say thank you for that which we don't see yet but we know we have because all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus, yes and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And we, we, Lord, are as children of Abraham, we're blessed with believing Abraham. So we believe tonight. We're, we are fully persuaded tonight that you who promised are able to perform what you promised. Not one word of yours shall ever fail. You are faithful. You are good. And we praise you tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You've been there. 
time and time again. Time and time again, you've been there. You've been there. David had this revelation in Psalm 23. As he's thinking about all that the Lord is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's the one who leads me beside the still waters and brings me to green pastures. He's, he's the one I can look to. Even when I'm standing in the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear evil because he is with me. His rod and his staff, they cover me. And then he, he fills me up to overflowing. I have plenty in him. And when I turn around, when I think about it, when I look back, what I look back and see is goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. Hallelujah. Chasing me down. Christian, you don't have time to get caught up in regret. Huh? You don't have time for that. You don't have time for that. See the goodness and the mercy that's been there. You're here tonight because goodness and mercy. Because of his goodness and mercy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that Christ died for our sins. And he was buried and he rose again the third day. Thank you for the glorious gospel. Whoever believes on him shall have everlasting life. And as we begin in Christ, so we walk. We walk by faith, not by sight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the victory. Thank you for the turnaround. Thank you for the breakthroughs tonight. Thank you for the miracles. You are in our lives. Lord, let us not forget that. Christ is in me. Whew. Always. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com. 